0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Take out your Bibles if you would. Go to Jonah chapter two. Jonah chapter two is where we'll be focused today. It wasn't but a few weeks ago I preached Psalm 62. And in Psalm 62, verse nine, It says, those of lowest state are but a breath. Those of highest state are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. I read that in coming into today's passage because in today's passage, Jonah really is going to deal with some suffering that he is going through and how in the midst of his suffering, God would save him. And that is often the case, a lot of times, we'll talk about it more as the sermon goes on, that we see God do that in the midst of hurt, in the midst of suffering, when God speaks, when God really uses his word to show people truth. I was reading an article today, this morning, and uh, it was written by a nurse who worked in the emergency room. And she claimed to be a Christian, but she said that she was a, a nominal Christian at best. One who would attend maybe once in a while attended some as a kid, but she always called herself a Christian. Well, she had a very difficult night in the emergency room. She was a part of three different deaths. Two of them teenagers. One a father uh, who also lost his wife after getting beaten uh, by intruders into their home and left a child. And she she left that night just despondent and hurting. And so the next day was her day off, she said, and day that she would normally rest, but instead she find her, found herself driving around, trying to think through the night before. She said she came upon a spot where there was a bridge and she was overlooking a river that was very pretty. And she said she got out, and when she got out, she wanted to pray because she was struggling. But she said when she started to pray, she noticed no words were coming. Nothing was coming to her head, nothing was coming out. And it was in that moment she realized God wasn't real. She said, I realized in that moment God there there was no way that God was was real. Because if God was real, he'd have something to say. Right? There'd be something for me. So she had experienced something extremely difficult, and she just simply did not have answers. Well, the article ends up having a good turn to it because later she has a patient who is very sick, has no hope at all, but through prayer we see God do a miracle in his life and really save him. And that worked in her life to where she started to go to God's word. So for the very first time, she read all four gospels. After the gospels, she decided she was gonna trek through the book of Romans. And it was there in Romans, Romans chapter five, where there was a passage talking about suffering and how God uses suffering in the life of a believer to where she said for the very first time, she actually saw the hope of God and that God offers. I share with you that story because in the verse in Psalm 62 because sometimes what I like to do is I like to listen to preachers who I think are itchy ear preachers. The Bible says there'll be those who will preach and they preach in a way just to satisfy the listener. They preach so that they, they will uh, make those itching ears of people satisfied and, and happy and then they'll go off with their, with their day. And so sometimes I like to turn these preachers on. I'll listen to them on YouTube and it's always... The same. It's always the same story. It's always about me. It's always how good I am or how good I can be or how God made me the best, how in this life God wants my fulfillment, he wants my satisfaction, and I can achieve that and I can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I would have enough faith, these things would happen. And I listen to these preachers realizing what they are, are doing, obviously, but as a good reminder to me, the importance of actually preaching the word of God in the truth of the word of God. And the reason it's so important to preach and teach the true word of God is because the only the true word of God will give you and me any hope at all when we actually live a real life of which those preachers I don't think believe in. A life of hurt, a life of pain, a life of suffering. A life where maybe when you get towards the end of it and you look back, you're not really that fulfilled with the life that you lived. Instead, you think of all the things you should have done or could have done or should have said. And you find yourself frustrated. I think that's the real life that we live. I think that's the life actually that Jesus talked about that we as Christians would face. A life that does hurt. A life that involves suffering and persecution and difficulty and pain. That, that is real life. And if I would actually let you into my life and if you would actually let me into your life and we had a conversation, I bet we would find out that we all have difficulties, struggles. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you might be going through. You might be in a big high in your life that things are going great. And that's, that's fantastic. God has been good to you. There are some of you who might be going through some very, very troubling times, some troubling circumstances in your life, in your family's life, whatever it may be. And I dare say that as we read Jonah chapter two, you will completely understand what Jonah is talking about. As we get to Jonah chapter two, I think you're going to feel yourself or understand what Jonah was experiencing. Maybe not in a literal sense of exactly what he's talking about, about drowning and weeds wrapped around him and going to the depths, but you can understand in your soul what it feels like to be in the depths. You can understand in your life what it feels like, what it it must be like to be wrapped with seaweed with no way to swim up to the top for a breath of air. I am guessing most of us in this room, if not all of us, understand that. You remember from last week, Jonah chapter one, Jonah was a prophet of God and God called out to Jonah and he said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that I've seen the wickedness that they have done. Jonah, deciding not to do that, goes to the shipyard, finds some people who are sailing to Tarshish, pays them, gets on a ship on the Mediterranean Sea bound for the other side of the sea. He decided, I'm gonna run away from God as fast as possible and get out of here. Well, the Bible then tells us that God causes this huge storm to come up within the sea, so big that the the mariners, those who are working the ship, are scared to death for their life. They're doing everything they can to try to save the ship, and they they resort to their final straw of prayer. Well, pray. Pray to all of your gods. And they, they go down to the bottom of the deck to find Jonah asleep, and they tell Jonah, wake, arise. What are you doing? Call out to your God. Maybe he will save us. They end up trying to figure out the problem and they realize it's Jonah. Jonah is the problem. Jonah is the reason for the storm. And you remember, Jonah says, just toss me overboard. Toss me overboard and everything will be good. And the men were like, no way, we're not doing that. And so they try to row even harder, but it's just not working. So eventually they do that. They, they toss Jonah overboard and the Bible says as they toss Jonah overboard, the sea calms down completely. But then we finish with that interesting verse, verse of uh, chapter one, verse seventeen, where it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so today, today, that's what we're gonna where we're gonna be. We're gonna be in the belly of this fish with Jonah and see what Jonah had to say when inside of this fish. And it happens to be a prayer. It's a prayer. Now there's some to, some debate people talk about uh, was Jonah chapter two inserted after the fact, after Jonah was all written. That's not super important. I'm going to go with what verse one says, because in verse one, look what it says. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. Let's finish the chapter saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O oh, Lord, my God, We'll talk hopefully in depth about them this morning, but the first thing we see is in verses one through six. In verses one through six, the first part of, of of verse six, we see really Jonah's depravity here. Jonah's hopelessness, really. I mean, that is that is what he is talking about. In verse two, he talks about his misery that he is going through. I cried out to the Lord, how out of distress. Out of distress, and how does he explain it? Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Right? You see this great distress and misery that is coming upon Jonah, so much so that he would describe the place that he is in as as Sheol. If you understand what Sheol is, really the Old Testament, when they would write that, just talking about a separation from God. The, The lowest place that you can be completely separated from God, this was Sheol that they would talk about, and this is where Jonah found himself Again, as a result of his own sin, he really had put himself where he is. It's his fault for what is happening, what has took place. But he's in just great misery here. Again, being, trying to be very literal with this passage, he's in the gut of a fish. I don't know if you've ever went fishing before and then gutted the fish. It's not a pretty sight. I wouldn't want to be in there. Not a place that I would want to be. But this is where he finds himself. And it's a horrible spot. Not knowing what's going on, not knowing if he is going to live. And so he's in great misery. He goes on to verse three. And in verse three, we see that the wrath of God had been going against him here. It says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Right? He doesn't say those guys threw me into the sea, threw me into the deep, or I threw myself into the deep. No, he's saying you cast me into the deep as he prays to God. You, I am facing your judgment. I am facing your wrath here. They are surrounding me. They are, they are flooding over me. The waves and these billows, they, they just pass over me, and there's nothing Jonah can do about it for a second. See, you wonder how long Jonah was in the water before the, before the fish came and swallowed him. It, it sounds like not right away, right? The fish didn't come right away because he's talking here about drowning. As he feels himself going down in the deep of the water, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before, but... I remember as a kid thinking I was gonna die in a pool underneath a raft. That's a horrible spot to be in. I can't do anything to get out of this. This is it. This is how I go, and this isn't fun. That's what Jonah's facing. He's saying, I'm falling down into the depths here. Your waves and your billows are passing over me. The wrath of God is being done. This storm is God's wrath on my life and my sin, and it is taking over me right now. He goes on to verse four and he talks about his separation from God. He says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. That's an interesting statement from Jonah if you think about it, because where was he trying to run? He was trying to run away from God. And now he's actually finding himself in that situation, being separated from God, and he's realizing, I have made a mistake. The last thing I should ever want to do is to be separated from God because that is the worst position that I can find myself. And that's what Jonah is is declaring here. I'm driven from your sight. I am separated. As he gets to verse five and six, we see his desperation. He says the waters... Closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Jonah is describing falling down to the bottom of the ocean, being wrapped around seaweed. Now I've watched grown men have seaweed touch their feet and they panic and freak out and don't know what to do. He's got it wrapped around his neck. Wrapped around his head, going down to the pit, to the bottom, with no hope to get out of the situation. And he feels completely desperate and hopeless. Last night, me and my kids, we we like sharks and stuff, and we were watching this show on sharks, and it was about how sharks sometimes get into those cages that they're in that they think they're safe in. And it was three accounts of that happening. And, and they, had, they were interviewing the people that it happened to. None of, none of them died or anything, but they were talking about how desperate it was because their air supply was on a hose that went up to the boat, how that was about to be gone. The one guy was so scared, he dropped the thing out of his mouth and now he's got to try to get out of this cage with the shark thrashing around all in there. How desperate of a moment that has to be. How desperate does that have to feel? And Jonah, that is what he's going through. He's saying, the weeds are wrapped around me. I'm at the roots of the mountain. I'm as far as I can possibly get. And I feel like the bars are closed up upon me forever. There's no way out. Jonah is completely desperate with no hope in himself to be able to get to where he can have life. A breath of fresh air, to feel it again. Jonah knows it's probably not going to happen. But then as we read the rest of the Chapter We see Jonah's salvation comes because at the end of verse six, he says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. And then later in verse nine, at the end of verse nine, he finally cries out, Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, in Jonah's desperate situation and his hopelessness, it is God who rescues him. It is God who saves his life as he's going into the pit, as he's sinking down to the bottom. It is a fish that is his salvation, a fish that God brings, a fish that swallows him. And Jonah realizes this is God's salvation for me. And that salvation here only belongs to God. Jonah could take no credit in this whatsoever. It's God who brought the fish. It's God who demanded the fish to go to swallow Jonah. And in the end, if you notice in verse 10, it is God who orders the fish to vomit Jonah out. It wasn't that the fish had a bellyache and needed to get rid of Jonah. It was that the Lord told the fish, all right, time's up. Go spit him out on dry land. Right? Not, not out in the water and he'll swim to land. You go take him to dry land and you're gonna vomit him out. And so it's not the prettiest of situations. It's not the prettiest story of salvation that looks all great, but it is salvation. And Jonah realizes that his life would be over if it wasn't for God intervening and God doing what only God could do. So when God saves Jonah, we see here that he finally realizes that this salvation is only from God But his reactions, the reactions that Jonah has in here are all because of God's salvation. Jonah knows, I did not deserve this. I do not deserve this salvation. I was running from God, I was trying to flee from God, but yet even though I do not deserve it, God saved me. He understands that, and we see this in his words. Jonah knows, actually, if anything, I was disqualified for God. If anything, Jonah should be the last one to receive any good treatment from God. Because God gave him a task to go do and Jonah said, I am not doing that. And he just fled and he ran. Yet even though we would say, Jonah, you are disqualified, even though we would look at Jonah and say, you deserve to die. You deserve to go to that pit. You deserve the wrath of God to be poured out in your life. God intervenes. And even in the midst of that hurt, in the midst of that shame, God loves Jonah even into salvation to save him. I mean, we, we talked last week about Jonah's disobedience. And so when we, get to, we start to grasp Jonah's disobedience and we think of how great his disobedience is and maybe we even feel embarrassed for him, what really happens in the book of Jonah is we see how great God's love is for his people. We hopefully get a taste and a grasp of how much God really loves us, those of us who've been saved by his grace, people who did not deserve it, People who who shouldn't have this grace poured out on them, but yet we receive it. Now it's sad that in Jonah's life, what it took to get Jonah to this spot was for him to be in a storm, for him to be thrown over in a ship, for him to sink to the bottom of the ocean and for a fish to come and eat him. That's what it took for God to get Jonah's attention, for Jonah to finally realize it is God who is in control. But so often we see this same story play out today. Today. It's amazing how often it takes a tragedy in a family's life for people to seemingly wake up to understand who God is and what He does and the truth of His Word. Or how often we really do have to get to the pits and the depths of that in our own life, to where we have no other place to turn. We have no other place to go but to look to God and say, God, are you real? God, are you really there? Is your word really true? So often these are the times that God does work. And it's amazing to think that in that fish's guts, as Jonah sought God, as Jonah prayed to God, as Jonah began to trust and give his life to God here, that God actually heard him, that God loved him, that God cared for him, And that God would save him. You see, Jonah realizes what's happening here. He realizes the salvation that he has been given. And he he talks about this in verses eight, eight and nine because we see how Jonah responds in this situation. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah realizes there's only one God who deserves worship. You remember Not too long ago, he was on a boat where they were praying to every God. Every God possible. And you remember, Jonah told them, I serve the true God, the one who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah is saying here, he's saying, idols are worthless. Idols are worthless. I need to worship only the true God. And those who do not worship the true God, what they are missing out on is they are missing out on this steadfast love that I am experiencing in this moment. We've talked about this word numerous times. It keeps coming up. The Hesed love of God is the steadfast, covenantal love of God that he gives us despite us. Despite us. And that's what Jonah is talking about here. Those who turn from the Lord and worship idols, they worship vain things, they worship the things of this world, this is what they are doing. They are removing themselves from the steadfast love of the Lord and they are forsaking that which is the only true source of love. And so the first uh, realization for Jonah is worship and what true worship is. True worship is given to God alone. But then he goes on, look at verse nine. But I with the voice of thanksgiving. Now this is an odd place to be thankful in the guts of a fish. I mean, he hasn't been spit out yet. He hasn't been vomited out yet. He doesn't know if he's going to live. But yet in the guts of this fish, he's willing to say in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his hurt and his shame, he's willing to say with a heart of thanksgiving, I am speaking to you now. When we understand the salvation of the Lord, it's a natural response to thank him, to be thankful for the things that he has done, to be thankful for what he has done in our life. And I wanna do a little sidebar here. I don't have it in my notes, but I always I always, when I preach, I want to get people excited. And to be honest, you guys don't ever look excited. <clears throat> but I want to get people excited about the things of God. And this is, where the, this is where the itchy ears come in. Because it would be easy to get people excited about God to say just some things that are false. Uh, you guys would be pretty pumped if you actually believed me when I said, guys, when you leave here, there's a special blessing waiting for you because God has foreordained it. He's told me, I promise, when you leave, a blessing is going to come you guys might leave a little more excited than normal. But I just don't believe that to be true. And so I always think I want, to, I want them to be excited. I want them to be so thankful for the things that God are doing. I want to drum up inside of them whatever I can to get them just so thankful for God and the love that he has shown them in their life that they just, they just can't help but to worship him and to praise him and to serve him. What can I really say? What can I, what can I really do? Well, Jonah, I think, shares that with us. When we really firmly grasp the depth of our depravity and hopelessness and that God would still hear our prayer by faith to receive his grace in our life, the fact that God would do that and the fact that for some of you, God has done that, you would say that you have been saved by God's grace. I don't know the situation of your life right now. Things might be going rough and horrible and terrible, But the best news that I can give you to hopefully wake you up and say, keep thanking the Lord is this. He saved your soul. He saved you when you don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it for one second, just like Jonah. Yet Jonah, in the midst of this fish, when he realizes the salvation of the Lord, he can't help but thank God. And then he goes on. Voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. So it's not just worship and thanksgiving, but there's this sacrificial element that now all of a sudden it seems Jonah is willing to do because he understands how God has reached down for him. So it seems like all of a sudden Jonah is saying, my life to you. Because after sacrifice, he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. Jonah, We see Jonah in a realization of the Lord's salvation. The only response Jonah knows to do is to say, here I am. Here I am. Jonah had nothing to sacrifice in this fish. What was he gonna do, start a fire? Burn the heifer on the altar? Well, there was nothing there. There was nothing for him to give God. There was nothing of any value, nothing of any worth. And so all Jonah knew to give was himself. I am yours. I will sacrifice to you. I will pay my vow. Because why? Salvation belongs to the Lord, not myself. Jonah realizes this. And so as we look at this chapter, we ask, well, what does this do with us? Well, once again, I think it's easy to see ourselves in the shoes of Jonah. Again, not in a fish, maybe not drowning in the water. But it's easy for us to understand, especially as Christians, if you've been saved today, it's easy for us to understand how our sin, how the sin in our life brings us to the great depths of Sheol, imagery where we feel really separated from God, not because God has separated us from him, but because of our sin. Our sin makes us feel separated from him. Like, I can't really be honest with him. I can't really worship him because I got this thing. It's just, it's just separating me. And, And it's this sin in my life. We, we have this imagery of Jonah sinking to the bottom of the sea and it, it makes sense to us. Of what it feels like to be cast into the depths of this world, to be so lost into the things of this world and think that our hope comes from this world, that our salvation comes from this world, that we invest everything we have into the things of this world. And we just realize that the depths of this world has, has nothing to offer, but we're so invested. We're so, we're so into it that we can't get out of it. We've lost our opportunity. We've lost our chance. And so the waves and the billows of the struggles of this world just constantly just keep pummeling you over and over again. You know, the ocean's an interesting thing. It, It never stops. It just never stops. Waves keep coming. Tides keep coming and going over and over and over again. No matter what you want, it's going to continue to happen. And in our lives, as we live our life, we understand this feeling as we cling our hope to the things of this world and separate it from God. The waters close in over us. We sink down to the bottom. We feel as if we are completely wrapped up with seaweed and whatever it might be, that we can't seem to get out of it. It's almost as if, as if we're choking, as if we're being choked out. When I was thinking about this, my mind had to go to the parable of the sower. If you remember in Matthew chapter 13, it talks about how this person would cast seed and how seed would bring forth. And you remember one of the situations of the seed was that the seed sprung up, but what happened? The weeds and the thorns of this world choked it out. You understand if maybe if you have a garden, You got to get rid of the weeds because they'll choke out the good fruit that you want. So that's the reason you got to get rid of those weeds. The disciples being confused about the parable would ask Jesus, what was that about? And that's what Jesus would exactly say. The the seeds that got choked out by by the thorns and the weeds, those are the people who care more about the things of this world. And the things of the world just choke them out so that they could not remain and could not sustain. We understand that you today probably understand that feeling. If you're a Christian today, you should no doubt know exactly what I'm talking about. But also, if this morning you would say, I'm not a Christian, I would dare say you know exactly what I'm talking about too. How this world can feel so burdensome that there is no hope, this feeling of no true hope whatsoever, no real place to turn for salvation. David would say in Psalm 51 that uh, Pastor Spencer preached, he says in in verse 17, this is kind of how he describes it, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. This contrite heart, this this brokenness, this being pulverized into powder or into dust. We all know that feeling. We we all know what that feeling, feels like and and how we, we might try to get out of that ourselves, but we just simply can't. And so if we're reading the book of Jonah and we're placing ourselves as Jonah, and you can read on and go through chapter three and chapter four, I'm going to tell you this, there's no hope in Jonah. Because when we get to the end of chapter four, Jonah is left in a really bad spot And it's actually, he's being questioned by God, and we never get Jonah's answer. The book just ends, and it's over. And so, if we try to just read the book of Jonah and find our hope in Jonah, well, what did Jonah do next? Well, Jonah gets vomited out, and he goes to Nineveh, and they all repent. And then in chapter four, he whines about it. He whines about it. He basically goes back on everything he said in that fish, and we don't know how it all ends. We have no idea. And so if we try to be like Jonah, we're gonna live a life fully of no hope at all. But as I mentioned last week, we have a better Jonah. We have Jesus to look to. Because in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 through 41, I will remind you, Jesus would say this, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, if you try to compare Jonah with Jesus, Jonah's story with what we know of Jesus, and I'm just gonna do a few of them here. It really brings out, I think, some great truths. First of all, as we look at chapter two here, we realize that Jonah felt the wrath of God. I talked about that. He talked about how he was separated from God and how it was his storm, it was his waves, it was his depth. So Jonah felt the wrath of God, but why did Jonah feel the wrath of God? He felt the God because of his own sin. He was where he was because of his sin. There was nobody else to blame. Well, when we compare this to Jesus, we're told in scripture that Jesus had all the wrath of God put on him. Why? Because of your sin. Not because of his sin but because of your sin. Jesus led a perfect life, yet he would go to the cross and take all of God's wrath on him. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Romans 3, 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Talking about Jesus being the propitiation, how he would take on our penalty, our wrath that we deserve by God. No, he would take all of that for us in our place. John 3, 36, Jesus would say this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains On him, For those of us who are found in Christ, the wrath of God does not remain on us anymore. We do not have to experience that. We do not have to do what Jonah did. We don't have to call out to God and say, your wrath is being poured out on me because we can look to God as our father and say, you bore all your wrath on your son so that I wouldn't have to experience it, so that I wouldn't have to go through it. Therefore, I thank you. Right, therefore, I serve you. Well, not just that. The Bible tells us Jonah spent three days and nights in the fish or the depth of the sea. And what was it? It was actually a means of grace for Jonah. It was God in his great grace saving Jonah that Jonah would do this. Well, conversely, Jesus said this here in Matthew. We see Jesus spends three days in the grave. And why does he do this? Not as a means of grace for himself, but as a means of grace of all who believe by faith in him. He did that for us. He did that so we can be saved by his grace. At the end of Jonah chapter two, Jonah is vomited onto the land. Again, probably not a pretty sight. But in Jesus' case, Jesus rises from the grave and he rises from the grave victorious, triumphant, victorious over sin, death, hell in the grave. Not somebody vomited onto the land. No, somebody who is over the land that the disciples would soon see elevated in his ascension. See, as we read Jonah, I want to remind us over and over again, what we have here is we have in Jesus a better Jonah. And even better news than that. In Jesus, we have a better Tim, a better you, in that he does what you cannot do, Just like Jonah, you and I, we can't do a thing for our sin. You can go to your neighbor and tell them sorry. You could go to your boss and confess that you've been stealing things. Maybe you'll face repercussions. You can do all this sort of stuff and that's fine and that's good. But as David would cry out, against you only have I sinned, as he would talk to God. How are you going to handle your sin against God? How how are you going to deal with, with that, are you just going to say, could you not notice that one? Could you just could you just pass by that one? God, could you actually be 100% against your character and not deliver justice to me? Yeah, everybody else they deserve it. They're bad people. But I'm a pretty good person. So I know your Bible says things about sin equals death and all who sin are separate. I know it says that, but how about for me? Just let me slide by. You cool with that? You see, that's not how it works. Your sin has to be dealt with. And what we have been given in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is we have been given a way to deal with our sin through Christ. Jesus was willing to go to the depths of Sheol in our place. Jesus was willing to live the perfect life. You and I simply cannot live And more so than that, Jesus was even then willing to die for the life that we do live, our sinful life. In Romans chapter four, verse 24 and 25, it says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. For us as Christians this morning, this is great news. This is news, hopefully, that we know, that we understand, that we have already put our hope in. But for others here, I have no doubt, there's some, you've never put your hope and your trust in Jesus. Your life has been more like that nurse I talked about at the beginning of service. I'm a Christian. How often do you go to church? You know, enough, enough. But when life hits, when the suffering actually begins and you go to God to speak and you look into God for answer, there's just nothing there. Why? Because your life isn't actually truly cemented in the life of Christ. You know nothing of his word. You know nothing of his true hope. Jesus is just this tag on in your life that you have attached onto just in hopes that maybe when you die, you can go to heaven. Because if God asks you a question, you know, the answer is Jesus. And so you're basing everything off of that. And so your whole life is filled with going down to the deep and struggling over and over again. And you're kind of wondering, where is the joy of this faith that I've heard about? Where is it? It's not in just declaring this name Jesus. It's actually trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins and your salvation. And when that happens, our only response is like Jonah's, a life committed to Christ a life of worship, a life of thanksgiving, a life sacrificial to him, and a life truly committed to him. That is always the response of the true Christian. Now we have our ebbs and flows and it's not always perfect and that's why we are called to repent daily of our sins. But we understand that we have a loving God that through Christ, he's there to forgive us again and again and again. His steadfast love endures forever. And so I would urge you, just like Jonah would say there, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of the steadfast love. Would you be willing to finally cast off those idols that you've been worshiping? You say, Pastor Tim, I have never whittled a wood thing and placed it in my home and bowed down to it. No, but you've built up a nice 401k. You've built up a nice savings account. You've done, very hard, you've done a lot of hard work to have a very nice family. And that's where your hope is found. Maybe that's your idol. Maybe those are the things that you worship. There could be so many things that it could be. But are you worshiping the true God, the only one who can give you salvation in Christ? If not, I hope that today you'll deal with that with him. As we get ready to sing a song and respond to the word of God, I hope that you'll respond to it how you should. For some this morning, I hope it's a cry out for salvation. Lord, save me. I'm in the depths. Will you save me? And the Bible says if you call on him, he will save you through Christ. He'll do that. You don't have to question it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to say, well, am I good enough? No, you're not. But either was Jonah. And he saved Jonah. And if he'll save Jonah, he'll save you. But then those of us who have been saved, maybe we've been starting to put our hope and our trust in the things of this world. We've started to trust in these idols and we forget where our salvation belongs and our highs and our lows depend solely on the things of this world every single day. If we ask you, how are you doing today? Really what we should ask is, did you see good news in the news this morning? because that's what bases your whole day. Is your family all healthy? If they're all healthy, I'm good. If not, no, it's devastating. I don't know what it might be in your life. But Christian, is your joy found in the saving hope of Jesus Christ? The solid rock is where I stand. All this other ground is sinking sand. Do you really live your life that way and believe it that the salvation alone belongs to him? Not me not my circumstances, not my surroundings, but it's because of him. And because of him, I'm gonna live my life to him to the fullest, always. Let's bow together. Let's pray and respond to the word of God this morning. God, it's amazing to me how a book like Jonah that we always classify as a children's story can be like a mirror of looking into my own life. How it's so easy to distrust your plan for my life. So easy to think, you know, I'll just run from this. Or I'll just keep putting it off and hope that it goes away. But God, we see in your great, great grace, as Jonah would try to do that, you continued to pursue him. And God, as we read this story, it was a difficult situation. A storm being thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, almost drowning But yet in that, we see a picture of grace. That fish being the saving grace to Jonah. Oh, I'm sure it was very unpleasant. But God, it was through that that his eyes were open to your truth and he would declare salvation belongs to the Lord only. And he would vow to go do what you had called him to do already. God, I'm sure there's people here this morning find themselves in a similar spot they know what they should be doing. They know they should be reading your word. They know they should be praying. They know they should be faithful to church with their life. They know that they should be a good dad, husband, whatever it might be. They, they know these things, yet so often they run from them. And God, those are the easy ones that we know very clearly and have no doubt in. God, it's a scary thing to pray, but I pray that we would be willing to have a prayer to say, God, whatever it takes, prick my heart. Help me to be faithful to the things that you've called me to. God, that's what our calling is as Christians. That's what our calling is as a church. It's not to expand in numbers greatly all the time. It's not even to go and to, on me to reach the whole world for the gospel. God, you call me to faithfulness. And so God, I pray that, as every Christian in here, that we would pray that we would be faithful to you, setting our hope on you, understanding that salvation comes only from you, and that our response would be worship, gratification and commitment to you every step of the way. God, I pray for those who do not know you as their father those who have not been saved by the good grace that you've given us through Christ, your son, Jesus, I pray that you would open their eyes to that truth this morning, that you would use your word to help them to see there is hope in this world, but it's, it's not found in creation. It's found in you. So God, I pray that this morning you would be forgiving people of their sins, that you'd be saving them That you would be giving them a a true hope and a true joy that only you can do. And God, I pray that we'd be able to worship you as we see those things take place and happen. So God, as we sing this song, I pray that it would be a song of joy in our heart, that we would really honestly worship you through singing it. But God, also that we'd take this time to respond how how we should to you. Through prayer, confession, or thanksgiving, or whatever it might be. Just help us to be faithful. During this time, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.